give him hell, Brigham. Jeff, did you know that in the year of our Lord, 2020 is apparently still still a big deal to get put on a Wheaties box? Uh, I learned that today when, I mean, we, we have to ask ourselves, how big of a deal is it if the outlet that broke the news to me about LeBron James being on a Wheaties box was the Food Network? Like, I get it. Wheaties are technically food. I don't know if you count cereal as food. It's kind of like flavored air. Cereal so, is food, but Wheaties is cardboard. So That's fair. Cereal. Wheaties do suck. There's no question. So I, I guess it's it makes sense that the Food Network is covering that. But I remember, I don't remember, but I remember learning that a Wheaties box used to be a big deal like when the olympic team you know the dream team was on a wheaties box or when bruce jenner was on a wheaties box michael jordan like that was a big deal today this news broke i don't think anybody knows about it and i just happened to stumble upon it uh on the food network of all places you were what were i think you it's strange trying to find you some uh the pioneer woman you go catch up on her latest episode no i Actually, let me tell you what I was doing. I was looking to see if Alton Brown is still an employee of the Food Network because Cutthroat Kitchen got canceled. And I guess it canceled a couple of years ago, which was news to me. I did not know that. They just got all those reruns. Yeah. And so I wondered if he was still around. And according to their website, he is. But it was uh, one of the articles on the side of whatever I read that was like hey lebron james is on the weedy box and, and they I brought said, ah, back like last year or the year before they brought back um good eats like resurrected it and he started doing new episodes of that which oh, like the okay. best food network show because he got like way into the technical things but did you know like he, alton brown isn't actually like a trained chef he was yeah, he's a scientist well he was like a scientist but then he got into um like he was like went to school and studied science but then he got into film and was like working on a film set and they didn't have any food for like like they had food out for like the actors and stuff but then they didn't have anything for like all of the other crew like stage people not like stage like whatever other like prop people yeah whatever the workers are right all the other workers so he started like bringing food for everyone else because like this sucks because no one has food i like cooking i'll make them some food and then he now is alton brown being alton brown he he just launched a youtube series he and his wife, I think is who it is. Okay. I will give you two guesses as to what it is called, and the first guess does not count. Hmm. Okay, eats. Nope, nope. Okay, first guess doesn't count. Here's the real guess. Oh, is it Good Eats 2 or something? Because everyone does no, like it. It's Quarantine Kitchen. Are you serious? Well, he, I think it's Quarantine Quitchen. He spells the quitchen with a Q U, but oh, that's what it is. Quarantine like, quitchen. Like five minute meals or something like that. Yeah, something like that. I, I think mostly it's an excuse for him and his wife to drink. Like the, the previews that I've seen on it is like, hey, our show starts tonight at eight o'clock. We don't even know what we're cooking, but we know what we're drinking. And so I think it's more of like a like a laid back kind of live cooking show. But yeah, quarantine kitchen. Freaking, we need to file a trademark lawsuit against them. Uh, something. Maybe that's why he did the QU, is he was just avoiding us. I think our brand is big enough now. We've our spread. brand is growing. Thank you to everybody who is continuing 
to help our brand grow. Look, let's let's talk about some stats. We're not going to get into numbers because, frankly, the numbers, you know, at a at a very big level, the numbers are still very very small. So we're going to talk about these numbers in terms of percentages. And I remember Garrett, our first week of the show, we'll call that our you know what our initial audience was. Right. And it took us a week to get to that number. We are now to a point that we are blowing past that number. So our initial audience that took us a week to get, we are blowing past that number like in about six, seven hours. Yeah. yeah. It's going. pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. We are waking up like last week, you know, cause I'm in Pacific time, well, mountain time, but aligned with California currently for the next three weeks. Um, <laughs> the being in Arizona it's like yeah like I woke up last week to more listens to our law tech preview than we had our entire first episode way yeah. back when at the beginning so we're, the we're growing and we have to thank everybody we'd be remiss if we didn't thank everybody for subscribing for sharing uh, for the the reviews that we're getting on the show it really helps a ton uh, I, I mean, it's not like we're making money on this. This is still a labor of love for us, and it probably will be for at least the foreseeable future, if not the indefinite future. Yes. But it's fun to see it grow. It's fun to see people enjoy it and latch on. Please continue to support, subscribe, share, listen, whatever it takes so that we can continue to grow. I really, truly believe this. This is, I mean, obviously there's a bias because it's us. But I really believe that this is the most unique and informative BYU podcast on the market. Oh, we don't get into the coach quotes. About everything. We don't. Everything. You just. We just learned about how Alton Brown got his start. Like yeah. the dude who is now like the the play by play host of Iron Chef. We just talked about him. I learned something. I'm sure that other people who are listening did. I mean, it's, we try to expand, you know, we try to expand our knowledge of all things and share them with our dedicated listeners and our not so dedicated ones who may just be hopping in for half an episode or so. Right. We want everyone uh, to leave this show edified and uplifted with more knowledge than they came into it with. Speaking of edifying and uplifting, that is a great segue into our Hellion of the Week. I don't know because this is <laughs> this is just you and me we really this is where we need a producer that could like play the sound for us um but there was a tiktok video that went viral a couple of weeks ago and uh it was a a lady who i think she lived in in uh in louisiana we're a little late on this but it resurfaced. We saw it a couple of weeks ago and it resurfaced and we didn't get any nominations because y'all are slacking. And I don't, maybe after listening to the conference, you felt bad. Yeah. About, like you felt bad about, uh, you know, saying the word hellion. So you didn't want to nominate someone for hellion of the week. Okay. We'll get uh, what, we whatever it was. We want to recognize the greatness of this TikTok video. Yeah. And so this lady, she's in Louisiana, the hurricane hits. Uh, what was it? Hurricane Laura? Is that what it was? And so the hurricane hits. She has a tree that falls on her house. So she goes to a website that was set up about, you know, where you could submit that, hey, you need help. 
you know, for hurricane recovery. She goes in, puts her name and address down. The next day, who shows up? The Mormons. The Mormons show up. They make quick work of this tree that is on top of this woman's house. They do it for free. And then what she's the most flabbergasted about at the end of this is that they, being the Mormons who helped her, thanked her for the opportunity to serve. Like, that's pretty cool. She does say that if there are angels, she's not a real religious person, but if there are angels on Earth, they must be Mormon because of the generosity that those uh, members of the church had when they showed up and, and bailed her out in her time of need. Now, the question that I have for you is, you know, presumably this is the, I guess it's probably been rebranded, but what was formerly known as the Mormon's Helping Hands program. I don't know if you did this on your mission at all, but we did quite we did. regularly. Did well, for you, us, it was it was Rookie Pomishi. It wasn't Helping Hands. It was, you know, they translated it, but yes, we did it. Uh, we did have it translated as well. I'm trying to remember what it was because it wasn't like a direct translation anyway. Um, do you, the people who show up to this woman's house in Louisiana, are they still wearing the yellow vests? Yes. I assume you had yellow vests. Yep. So they still do. They still do the yellow vests. Actually, my stake in South Carolina sent people down um, to there was a huge storm. Uh, like, I don't know, it was in like May. There was around Easter. There was a huge storm and a couple tornadoes that touched down in Clemson got absolutely demolished in like all around the Clemson, South Carolina area. And so we sent people down and they, yeah, they still do the helping hands vests. So I think they just dropped the Mormons and then it's just helping hands. It's just helping hands now. Um, those vests are awful. I've worn those vests. They're so uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable. I think they're ugly. Like I understand that the, the vest is to draw attention to the people in the yellow vest. Like I understand the marketing behind it all, but those are terrible. They're not quite as terrible as uh, the Elders Quorum who designed the, uh, I guess, who was in charge of the decorations at April General Conference. Oh, yeah. That's I, our real hell. You know, the week is whoever the interior designers were who, you know, compare April to now. Big, yeah. big strides. Big like, strides. I mean, maybe the, uh, they had a little the, more time to plan, but yeah. I don't know who did that. The The April General Conference was... It was really close to elders quorum being held in the gym, but the teacher of the, like the instructor of the class is up on the stage. Like it was really, really close to looking like that. Like they just shut the curtain. Well, really they shut the curtain, but they took the padded chairs out of the relief society room. That's right. What it was. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much identical with the exception of the basketball hoop that had been like lifted up. Everything else was really close to that. Now, in October, so this past weekend, General Conference looked like General Conference again. Like, obviously, it was there were some differences. It wasn't quite the conference center, but it felt like General Conference. Yeah. April, it felt like they just threw this together on a whim, and this Zoom meeting might freeze at any time. You know, it's that's kind of how our podcast started, and look at how where we're at six months later. So we <laughs> do have to great strides. We're, we're still in a Zoom meeting, and it still might freeze. But it's at least now we know what to do if that happens. Yeah, I'm at the far end of the house away from the router. So the Wi-Fi gets a little iffy. We may have a few <laughs> glitches here and there. Um, so you had, we have an update on the Cougar Club as well. So the Cougar Club, like six months ago-ish, maybe five months ago, Mike Middleton, who was the director of the Cougar Club, moved on. We talked about this on the show. And then they got a replacement, and then they have a 
I guess he'd be like the new number two. I don't know what you'd call him, like the vice president or whatever director, assistant director, um, who's been putting out some videos on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, of like different reasons to join the Cougar Club. And there was one very important one that got shared this week that I don't know if this was like a myth that people thought it wasn't this way and he was clearing it up or if this was a change that they made. But either way, like it was very perception is reality. They felt like they needed to state this. And what was the good change? And, you know, we talked about this a little bit and you, you specifically commented and said like, this is awesome. It's a big deal. Well, and I understand. Okay. So the change, whether it's a change or clarification, whatever it is, they uh, confirmed that if you want your Cougar club donation to go to BYU football, then it will go to BYU football. And I think that there used to be, there has been up until forever and potentially even still, uh, there's this notion that if I donate a million dollars to the Cougar Club, it will be evenly distributed how the Cougar Club or how the athletic department sees fit. And this Twitter post, this video kind of dispels that notion, right? No, if you want to donate a million dollars to the football program, you donate a million dollars and it goes to the football program. Now, what I do think needs to happen is I have donated to the Cougar Club. I have, you know, I'm, we're, we're pre-rich, like everybody knows that. So I haven't donated enough that actually, you know, matters in the grand scheme of things. But I have never found a place to designate where I want those funds to go. I suppose right. I have to probably call in and say, hey, my name's Jeff Hansen. This is where I want my funds to go. So maybe that's where this myth came from is how right how do i say because right now the way that it works even still today i'm looking now to if i were to renew my membership or add more money today uh, i pay they take my credit card but my options are not sport specific there's a general athletic fund right and that's what i donate to so uh credit to the cougar club for getting out in front of this and trying to dispel the rumors the myth the fake news, whatever they want to call it, but they need to take it one step further and actually make it you know, visible and transparent that, hey, I am able to make this clear that this is going to the football program or the basketball program. Right, there needs to be a way online, update the LDS philanthropy site that drives that, that was created in like 2005. Yeah. And update that and make it so it can work online and you know, clearly say which program or do it by a percentage or whatever, either dollar amount or by percent, you set a dollar amount for your total donation, break it up by percentage. And, you know, I think that we are kind of, I mean, you and I both have tried to work on building a little bit of a relationship and some rapport with the Cougar Club. So if you have ideas of like, if you're not current, if you are currently not a Cougar Club member and you are listening to this show, please DM us and tell us what benefits you would like to see or what is, I guess, what is keeping you from being a member? Obviously you don't feel there's enough value. Otherwise you'd be donating already. Or maybe mm -hmm. you felt like, you know, yes, you want to donate out of the goodness of your heart, but you can't justify it because there is nothing in return, whatever it is. DM us, let us know what would make it so that you can would sign up to join the Cougar Club and what kind of features or things would be enticing to you. And you know, we'll pass it on. We'll see what we can do. Try to make the, you know, we can, all we can do is be a voice and hope something good happens from it. You know, and it, it's a, uh, it's really interesting um, 
the Cougar Club. I'm looking now. So if you want to, you know, you're just fresh out of college, or maybe you didn't even go to BYU and you're just a fan, and you want the base level contribution, according to the official website, the benefit of your $60 contribution. Now, recognize 60 bucks isn't a ton of money, right? So I don't think that there should be an expectation that you're going to get a lot if your donation is only $60 a year. But right now, what you get is a membership card, access to the football tailgate tent, basketball priority seating, and football priority seating. And we say priority seating, but if there are people ahead of you, then by the time your $60 donation rolls around, a lot of the seats that you think you might want are definitely going to be gone, right? Yes. Uh, but you get 12 seats uh, up to uh, of priority seating. That's it. That's the that's that that is the entire benefit. There's no stickers, right? There's no. We talked about the Clemson stickers. That hey, if all you did is donate 10 bucks, you at least get this bumper sticker that you can show off that it says, "Hey, I donated 10 bucks." There's something. Um, there's not even access to like a, a Cougar Club specific store where you can oh, buy your own. Be, there should be a store where it's like everything is marked up and people will pay because they know that it's akin to a Cougar Club donation. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I've kind of talked about some people. I think BYU just needs to approach it differently because there are so many out-of-state members. Like that is the well, untapped exactly market that right. other schools don't have because other schools or fan bases are very regional and or at least their bulk of like their boosters and things. So it's I would like to see a point system that you get so many points based on your donation level and it can be divvied up however you want. Like it can be so many basketball tickets, so many football tickets and like a free Nike polo is this much a golf bag is this much like mm -hmm. some head covers for your drivers, you know, woods is this much, like you can get some Nike shoes is this much. Like we talked about, we brought this up on our board a few months ago and said like, dude, do some type of like, work out something with the California schools and do a Bay area and a Southern California, like BYU sports pass where you get some type of ticket and work with the ticket offices of those other schools where Cougar club members can get tickets to those events in California. And it's like, you know, you pay a bunch of money and it's like, or you can buy it and you get this all sports package, whatever, like help the WCC to like get right. creative. Obviously maybe I'm understand how there's a lot of hoops to jump through for that last one. But I was saying like, Get creative, but think differently, right? I wish that the gokooks.com that set up like the official store of BYU athletics, where it's outside of the bookstore. And so the money goes directly to the athletic program. Frankly, I wish that was behind a paywall. Uh, I wish that that was something that uh, was specific to Cougar Club members because yeah. I think that that would be more. I don't know. I think and that's a bigger benefit. Points if you get like you get four football tickets, but if you want more, you can add more, but you don't get the like there is a discount off the face value on season tickets, right? Like you can add more, but you can get four at the discount. And then if you want to add more, you have to pay full price or whatever. And it's like, you know, just get creative because the dis the geographic distribution of our fan base is different than pretty it's much different. every school in the country. And we need to account for that. And, you know, we need to not only account for that, but, you know, just let people mix and match as they want to, to get right. whatever benefits they're seeking. And I think it'd be much better off. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just real quick, running through some more of the benefits here. This wasn't on our agenda to go into details of what the Cougar Club offers, but here we are. Uh, if you go to the second tier, so double your donation, now you're paying 125 bucks, your benefits are exactly the same. 
There is no added incentive. Now, again, 125 bucks is not enough to move the needle, but it is double what the base level is, and you get literally nothing else. You get the exact same incentives. To go to that third tier, you pay $250 a year, which isn't nothing. We're now getting to the point that, I mean, you're talking you know, 20 bucks a month. Uh, you get the exact same stuff, and you also get a poster and access to a parking pass. But at this level, your parking pass is no better than parking on the street. Yeah. It's really close to the same. In order to get a Nike hat, a Nike hat, you have this to donate. Not, this is not an annual thing. This is you get this the first time. You One sign. time. Correct. Yeah. You get or uh, you pay six hundred dollars as your annual contribution. You get a Nike hat. I mean, again, this is a donation. This isn't a purchase. So I understand that the the benefit that you receive is not going to be equitable to the money that you donate. But we're talking six hundred dollars and you get a Nike hat that I could presumably go to gokoogs.com and go right now and click the, on the hat that the coaches are wearing and buy it for $32. Yeah. If that's the only benefit that I get, especially as an out-of-state member where all of the other benefits are so driven around ticket sales and being at the game, why on earth am I paying $600 to get a $32 hat? It just doesn't make sense. We'll skip a few tiers. The base level of the legacy membership. Oh, so it's absolutely. $1,200. We can't, after you talk about this, we got to talk about the Platinum Cougar. Okay. I have something to say okay. about the legacy that people <laughs> may not know. We will do that. So first legacy, the first legacy. So now you are a one-time contribution of 10 grand plus $1,200 a year. You don't get anything really additional. You get a parking pass, access to the tailgate tent, priority basketball seating, priority away game seating, two free tickets to the Hall of Fame banquet, 12 seats of football priority seating, and free admission to Olympic sports. You don't get anything else, right? Like you give this program 10 grand and you have nothing that you can show off that will show people that you donated $10,000 to this program. Right. And I mean, maybe there is actually, I know a couple legacy people. I will can text them and find out if they do like, I think they may give you like, if you, if you're a legacy person and you stop by the AD and stick your head in, they may toss you like a Nike shirt or something out of the closet, but it's, sure. there's, there's not, there's not, you're right. There's nothing listed. So but we're not marketing anything. Right? right. I mean, and that's the problem right. is what is going to incentivize you to become a legacy member. Right. So the legacy. Uh, yeah. So it's like, even, you know, at least you're getting a golden, you're getting a laptop bag or platinum. You're getting a blanket. But so here's the thing about platinum. They added this a couple of years ago. It's $2,500 a year. Legacy is $10,000 once and then $1,250 a year after that. And we right. can do that ROI real quick. Okay. But if you call the Cougar Club and ask them about signing up for the legacy, the one-time donation can actually be broken up over three years. <laughs> So what's so, the point? Starting in year four, Platinum Cougar is absolutely just a little past year four is about worthless. So actually the person I talked to who did this said, I was going to join a Cougar a, as a golden Cougar. And then, cause this was before Platinum is this, but he said, but then I'm going with legacy one because, and they've upped the annual contributions on the legacy levels too. 
as well. He's like, the Golden Cougar was like, whatever. But then Legacy One it ended up being like, it was like $100 less a year, whatever at the time. So they let him do the one-time contribution, divide that by three, and that was his first three years. And then he flipped. So instead of doing 10,000 plus the extra 1250, he did year one, he did 33,33, year two, 33,33, year three, year 33,33, and then dropped down to 1250. So if you can do that, why would you ever join as a platinum cougar? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, going on my list of, look, we've got to find a way to do exactly what you say, incentivize the non-local um, donor. If I go to the Legacy 6, which, my word, there are way too many tiers. Like, there's 14 tiers. If I go to the Legacy 6 tier, which is a half-million-dollar one-time contribution and then an annual renewal of 3500 bucks, which seems like an interesting difference there, uh, you get the exact same benefits that are included you know there's, there's obviously the things right. that you talk about that I, there might be some unspoken benefits yes i think you get into the unspoken benefits but now as i'm thinking about this one of those things if they just straight up converted it to a point system like look we all got rewards credit cards we know how these re- point systems work where we pay one dollar and we get like one point for yeah, every one dollar, like, but the points yeah. are actually worth like a half a penny. And it's like shroop okay bucks. It. It's it real live shroop bucks. Right. Do that. Like make your because right now the way the priority deadline goes is it's like all of legacy. It's like your total amount of money within your level. So right, like it's so if you are a platinum cougar and you've been paying for doing that for six years instead of joining legacy one who has now totaled over six years put in like five grand less all the legacy ones will get to pick before you because they're right on the total pool. foolish throw that so, all out the window don't get it all out the window and just like go strictly off of how much did you donate you get so many points part of you can use your you can use your points to buy seats like how many seats do you want you can use your points to bid on when your seat selection day could be so the more points you have then you get to bid and say like i want to hire you know like I want sure. to pick my seats first because, and if you get people bidding on, I will trade to get to the front of the line. That is perfect because that costs the university nothing, but they will be right. so happy that you can join in way down at the bottom. But if all you care about and want to be happy because you live around the corner is, Hey, I want to get two seats and I want to pick them early so I can get my two good seats. Perfect. You are easy to take care of done. You're out of the way. It costs you nothing extra. Like now, I have a question and it's kind of a, um, it's like the philosophy of what BYU is doing at the Cougar club level. Do you think, and I don't know, I have no idea. Like maybe you have some insight here. I'm assuming this is going to be speculation. Do you think that the reason that these programs don't exist is because they have not thought of them or because of technological restraints that they would have to go through a migration and also build a new platform, some sort of a CRM that would allow them to manage this. And that's the investment that they don't want to make. Um, I think it's both. I think they have done some, like, I know people have reached out and kind of suggested similar things. So I think there is, I think it's a little bit of both. It's interesting. So the Cougar club, let us know what ideas you have. Um, I am, for one, I mean, I know it sounds like we've been pretty negative. I'm encouraged by some of the some of the changes and some of the things that we've seen already. Just little things, even this Twitter 
um, you know, kind of PR campaign. There's been a few different things that have changed recently that I'm encouraged about. Like uh, they're trying and that's great. The official Cougar Club Twitter account, everybody needs to follow it. It is at Cougar Club underscore BYU. They have currently 592 followers. Like that is unacceptable. So find ways to please go follow that account. Um, We are trying to develop, you know, a relationship with the Cougar Club, not necessarily because we want to be these high level donors or whatever, but because we want to help. And I think that um, like we talked about, I think that this podcast is the best BYU podcast of like all things encompassing BYU, not just the quotes from the coaches and we are trying to develop a relationship with them to bring them onto the show, to help bring some PR, help bring some notoriety to what they're doing, and also be the outlet for the fans to give feedback to those people who are calling the shots at the Cougar Club to try to figure out how we can help grow it. So let us know what kind of, um, what kind of, I guess, feedback or suggestions, whatever, even questions that you have. And we'll see what we can do as we work with them to try and, uh, and get those answered. Garrett, let's switch things up a little bit though, this week. Normally we do our preview of the team that we're playing at the end of the show, after we go on a whole bunch of rants, but this week there's been so much hype and so much fun stuff to talk about, but I want to flip it around because in my mind, it almost feels like the game is secondary after all of the other storylines this week, which is probably not true or not fair and probably not true, but it's the way that I feel. And because I started talking, I'm going to call that shot. Okay. Hey, you know, if you don't like it, guys, start your own podcast. That's the way that this works. So let's get to our preview first about UTSA. And you had a very interesting interview with a friend of yours earlier today that we could play that sound. Introduce this guy for us, and uh, let's let's talk a little bit of UTSA. Yeah, so I, you know, happened similar to how you and I came across each other in the Twitter sphere. Uh, I happened across, uh, you know, his name Jared Kalmus, and he is a uh, he is a UTSA alum. And he covers UTSA similar to what we do here at Cougar Sports Insider, um, hosts a podcast called the Alamo Dome Audible. And, you know, we followed each other for a couple of years, talked on Twitter a lot. And when this game got scheduled, we said, hey, we need to do po- like we need to do previews with each other. Um, so we're going to cut to that audio now. OK, I'm joined now with Jared Kalmus from the Alamo Dome Audible. We managed to connect with a UTSA, both alum and fellow writer and podcast host so how you doing today jared doing great um really looking forward to this game against byu not so much because i think it's going to go well for UTSA, but i really think this is a special byu team uh, i've really enjoyed watching them so far this season so um definitely look forward to seeing these guys in action because i think a lot of them will see in the nfl in the coming years yeah i think it can be kind of a good litmus test kind of for both teams obviously because the hype has come on strong for byu this week so it's like is they gonna like are they mm-hmm. gonna Drink the poison, uh, so to speak, maybe, and let maybe it get a to trap him. game for BYU, right? Maybe, or, or you know, let it things be tighter than they should, and kind of bungle it. Or and also flip side for UTSA is like, you know, can against a good opponent, like, can you show some progress, right? Like it's especially it's not just a young team. I know there's been a lot of turnover in the UTSA program in terms of players, and you played what like four quarterbacks already this year. Like yep. things are very up in the air, but it's you know, it's still even a young program in general. So like, which season number is this for? 
the program like it's, it's number 10 actually 10 so it's only a decade, decade started in football. Yeah. 2010 or 2011 was the first season yep. 2011 so what was that kind of like you were a student at utsa kind of what was you know obviously byu's we were well over 100 seasons now um what what was it like being kind of around a startup program it's crazy uh when i came to utsa i was really excited you know larry coker was hired as the first coach um but at the time i mean everyone just expected utsa to be like an fcs independent and we knew we were going to play in the alma dome that was going to be exciting like we thought we'd have a pretty good team you know because you can come in and you can get the guys out of san antonio that the people schools uh pass up on and you can have a really good team for sure uh, but I don't think anyone saw UTSA getting up to the FBS level so quickly, um, especially after Conference USA and then to go to bowl game in the first few years of the conference. Um, so it was really amazing. And, you know, to have a kind of a front row seat for all of that as a student at the time uh, was really cool, really great experience for me. I'm super glad I went to UTSA and that's one of the main reasons why. So it's, it's been a crazy journey. I think being a UTSA fan is a really unique one uh, compared to you know, most college football teams that have been around for 50 plus, 100 plus years. So, yeah, it's been a, a good time for sure. So, they've gone to one bowl game, but, and then this is year two of the, what's the head coach's name? Is Jeff Trailer? This is, yeah, Jeff Trailer's first year, actually. Oh, it's his first year. First so, season. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, he's three and three and three one. one. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, di- admirable, respectable, but where did kind of, I guess, what are your thoughts about the program and where? Because who was, the coach before was uh, was he came from LSU, right? Yeah, Frank Wilson. Frank Wilson, and mm-hmm. there were a lot of high hopes, especially him as a recruiter. And he kind of came in, and you know went to that bowl game in his first year, but then kind of pitted yeah. out. So I guess where are things at with Jeff Trailer, and what do you think he's going to do for the program? Well, he's done everything right so far, right? I think on paper it's a pretty similar hire, you know, high profile recruiter. Uh, he was a running backs coach at the B five level, just like how Frank Wilson was. Uh, I think probably the big differentiator between the two, uh, well, there's two main ones. Uh, first of all, Joe Trailer has a ton of Texas ties. I mean, he's an absolute legend in the high school ranks um, here in Texas, you know, won a ton of state titles. Every single coach in the state of Texas knows him, loves him, would welcome him on the campus. Frank Wilson didn't have that. You know, he was a Louisiana guy all the way through. Um, had some good ties in Mississippi as well, but uh, it's a little bit different in that sense. Uh, and, and now that Frank Wilson didn't do a good job recruiting, he absolutely did. Big reason why UTSA is 3-1 this year is because Frank Wilson left some pretty good talent waiting for Coach Trailer. Uh, but I think the other main difference that we've seen is just the philosophical approach to offense. Uh, Frank Wilson's offenses were very pro-style. They were very slow, very methodical, and uh, not very effective, to be honest, uh, because they could never get that type of offensive line talent to come into the program. Under Jeff Trailer, it's up-tempo. You know, they're running 90 plays a game on offense. Uh, they're getting up to the line quick, they're snapping the ball, and we're seeing that pay out. You know, uh, obviously the UAB was a setback. UTSA has gone through four quarterbacks now, but they're still moving the ball, they're still putting points up. So uh, at least the games are fun to watch now, and we're not watching, you know, three and outs all day long. So that's been the biggest change we've seen. All right, so with the talent, I know the big kind of name or um, I guess it kind of who's been the most reliable player is someone who did have a couple of P5 offers, and that was my Mike Sincere McCormick. Right. And it's, he's, he's a dude, right? Like that's absolutely. And so it's, he's, I'm guessing that that's kind of going to be the focal point, especially with the revolving door so far, the season at quarterback is that it's going to, they're going to try to establish the run and have to lean on McCormick heavily to do that. So how do you, 
what else is, I guess, besides McCormick, who some in the BYU media have talked about a bit, what else could we, you know, talk about heading into Saturday of what to look out for? A lot of unknowns. I mean, I don't know for sure who's going to start a quarterback for UTSA. Uh, you know, one of the offensive linemen, I think maybe let it slip in an interview today where he said, you know, we need to make sure that we're protecting Frank this week. Uh, Frank Harris has been UTSA starter through most of the season, uh, sprained his knee um, in the Middle Tennessee game. It was out last week. So hopefully Frank, who is, you know, the, the starter by, you know, in, in an ideal situation, he's healthy, he's ready to go. Uh, he's a pretty dynamic player. He's a dual threat guy that's got a decent arm. He's extremely accurate, you know, 70, 75% completion rate type of passer. Uh, but he doesn't really have a cannon of an arm. You know, he can't hit a deep ball, but it's going to float in the air a little bit. Um, but he's going to do a lot on the ground, running read options, scrambling out of the pocket, picking your yardage there. Um, so definitely keep an eye on him if he's ready to go. If he's not, it'll probably be Lil Narcisse, who is a former LSU four-star recruit. Um, Struggled a little bit at the JUCO level, but he's done some good things for UTSA in kind of a reserve role. Um, outside on offense, I, I think the wide receivers are probably the strength of the offense right now. Um, they've got a couple of guys in Josh Cephas, Zachary Franklin, and Brendan Dingle, who's a UMass transfer. All those guys have been phenomenal this year. They've got good size, good speed. So those are the main ones to look up for on the offensive side for sure. So what about what are we going to see on the defense? Yeah, so defense is pretty interesting. They moved to a three-man front this year after having a 4-2-5 for pretty much the previous nine years of football at UTSA. Um, they lead the country in tackles for loss, so that's a bit of a surprise. And Yeah, they're pretty stout up front. They've got probably five, six guys that play defensive tackle or nose tackle that are really strong. Um, Jalen Haynes, who started nose tackle, will get some looks at the NFL level. He's extremely explosive, um, really good size. Um Cornerbacks are solid. Uh, they have Tariq Woolen, who's a six foot five cornerback. So he's definitely one that'll pop out on the screen. You're like, there's a cornerback? No way. That should um, be, so, that should be like an outside backer kind of rover kind yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. Player. Yeah, he was a wide receiver for UTSA his first two years and made it a switch late last season. Um, but I think the big weakness on defense is the safeties. Um, they did make a change in the starting lineup with uh, an Arizona transfer, Antonio Parks, is now starting uh, free safety. And he was tremendously improved um, over what we saw for the first three weeks against UAB. Um, but there's still going to be a lot of opportunities for uh, BYU's receivers to get open down the field, I'd say. All right. So you said with those front seven, then this would, you know, getting after those tactical loss. And obviously with how the BYU offensive line has been playing this week, that'll be a really yeah. good test to see, like, you know, just how good are they. And, you know, yeah. hopefully they can get enough film so that your guys can get their look at the league, but not too much. I don't want too much. <laughs> don't want them to make too much noise um so that's awesome so with i guess around utsa being like how how does it work being a starter so i know obviously like in the dallas area right like you have unt another conference usa thing but they're kind of an afterthought like even probably most people who go to school there it's like they kind of maybe passively root for them but they're going to be like a ut fan or an oklahoma fan or an a fan or whatever is it kind of do you see similar things or is there starting to be more of like a towny culture of like the san antonio kind of rallying behind the roadrunners and getting yeah. some more fan support so the answer is a bit of both i think those the buy-in from the students has gotten better each year i mean like when i was in school it's it's pretty normal to walk down the main pathway on campus and see a lot of ut hoodies a lot of AM shirts you know stuff of that nature and it's gotten a lot better for sure there's a lot more school pride um, I think a lot more people are going to UTSA as their first choice now, which wasn't really the case when I was a student, so that's good. Um, as far as the local buy-in, the first probably four years, it was really great. I mean, UTSA was getting 30K in the Dome, and 
probably 15, 20 K of that were people that uh, didn't go to college or, you know, they're stationed in San Antonio in the military, which is like college football, or it's people who adopted UTSA as their second team. Uh, that's kind of fallen off lately because UTSA hasn't been a very good program and the offense was so terrible. I mean, no one wants to pay, you know, 40 bucks for tickets and hundred bucks for parking and sessions or whatever to go watch a team, you know, put up three points, seven points. Right. So I, I think it's going to get better. Obviously COVID's putting a damper on things, but San Antonio is a big time bandwagon team. Or sorry, bandwagon city rather. Um, you see that with the Spurs. I mean, the Spurs have been so good for so long, but if they even they'll make the playoffs, but not be as good as normal, and the attendance will crater. So uh, UTSA is going to fight that forever. I think their good years are going to have really great support, um, and then people are going to fall off the bandwagon. They're going to come back on. So you know, it, it's just going to go with the tides. But I mean, the potential for UTSA is really high. If, if they can go on a streak like UCF has done in Orlando, and the way that city is that embraced them. San Antonio could even surpass that because it's a huge football town. It's just a, a big right. time. Right. I mean, even with the AAF last year, may it yeah. rest in peace. <laughs> like, you know, it, they're the San Antonio was the commanders. They had a huge, yeah. huge turnouts every game. And it was, you know, they had big time support. Um, well, so I guess what else, uh, I'll wrap up, let you go here. What else uh, do we need to know? Or I guess, what are your predictions? What do you think is going to happen on Saturday? Or what else should BYU fans be aware of? Well, so well, the, the spread's like 32 points or something like that, right? I think right? it moved even more. It's like 34 oh, and a half man. now. So I definitely think UTSA can cover that. This, that's I a think lot so of points. too. I just, um, that's a lot. Yeah, it, I can definitely tell like BYU might be asleep at the wheel a little bit, at least at the start of the game, because on paper, UTSA is probably not too scary of an opponent, but they do have some talent. I think they can take advantage of some things. Um, I wrote down my score predictions. I try to get consistent ones throughout the week, as people ask me. Um, but I think UTSA will lost some plays, right? But BYU is going to control the game, obviously. Um, I think something like 13 to 42 probably sounds about right. Um, you know, I did notice, I, I did watch um, BYU's press conference this week. And, uh, you know, I could tell that uh, Kalani Satake was maybe a little bit upset that the media wanted to ask him more questions about BYU's rank and the national attention than about UTSA. Um, so I think he kind of feel like, Maybe people are jumping the gun a little bit. Not to say that UTSA is like this huge threat to BYU or anything like that, but you got to take it seriously. Right. Um, so I, th- I think they'll probably end up covering the spread, but it, it probably won't be too pretty of a football game. Right. Um, so going back to when this game was announced in late August, you and I had a bet. And we said, uh, oh, our wager, you said, if UTSA manages 10 first downs, you win the bet. Uh, what what do we bet on? I forgot. Um, it's uh, I said I'd make a boost, a twenty dollar booster donation if they did it, and right. you said if BYU wins, you donate to the Provo Food Bank. So yes, we're getting that right, on record that. again on the tape, and I I think it's going to be an entertaining game. Mixing, I think UTSA can come out and I mean, obviously I was very surprised. I thought the Louisiana Tech game was going to be a little closer than it was, but Zach Wilson played out mm-hmm. of his mind, and I think you know you'll see a little bit more. Um, you know, you'll see there, they definitely like, there's some athletes there and they can bust a few plays open. So I think if they get a couple of big plays, it can, I think they'll beat the spread just because I don't like touching anything with a 35 point spread. That's yeah, way too many points. Yeah. Um, cool. So thank you. And we'll let you go. And uh, I guess we'll see what happens on Saturday. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks for having me on. It was good to talk with you. Good talk to you. Okay, Jeff, what did you think about the interview with Jared and what do you have to say? I thought it was pretty interesting you know, thinking like this is year 10 ever 
of the program, right? Like it's kind of similar to my beloved Charlotte 49ers being very young team, um, but it's, you know, they do have a lot of talent and they can kind of get close to home in the San Antonio era. There's a lot of guys in San Antonio that they should be able to recruit because if you're not going to a P5 school, really, if you're from San Antonio, unless it's UCF or Boise, all G5s are the same. They don't care. Like whether you're the Mac or you're Fresno State or Colorado State, you're all the same. They'd rather stay home. It was really interesting and it was fun. I, I think he brings a really interesting perspective given that he was a student when it started and now he covers the program. I thought that was just that whole angle to me was really intriguing. I also enjoyed the little wager that you put on um, and, and 10 first downs. Is that what it was? Yeah. Like, so I throw said, the score out the window, throw the spread out the window. We're just going purely on if you can move the ball 10 times. Yeah. I thought we were going to go game straight up, maybe decide on just like, we'll go against the spread. But then I came back and, you know, he said, if UTSA gets 10 first downs, then, then he'll pay up. And I said, okay, so that's our, that's our prop for the week is 10 first downs. We will have that circled. And if, if the Roadrunners do it, then I will make a $20 donation to the Roadrunner Club or whatever the UTSA booster donation is, boost club is. And he said he'd find a, the Provo Food Bank and do the donation from his side. Well, I appreciate that you, I mean, you're trying to, you know, get him to donate to charity. He's trying he to offer that you. one. I said a booster donation. Then he said, okay, you're on. I'll find a promo <laughs> food bank. If, if have, so. so 10 first downs just for, I mean, how, how likely is that? Notre, I'm looking at some of the stats now. Uh, Navy only had seven first downs against BYU. Uh, I'm pulling them all up now. And I apologize, everybody. I should have been prepared. But uh, again, you get what you pay for. Troy had eight first downs. This 10 first down, when I first heard that, I thought, well, that seems kind of silly. But I mean, uh, this might be tougher to get than I thought it would. It, if it's like the first three games, it's going to be tough. Um, LaTeX had 18 first downs. Yeah, if it's like the first two games, it's going to be tough. But, you know, it really depends. And it's they they run the ball well. I think it will be a good test. The, the BYU offensive line versus their defensive front seven is what will be the most interesting thing. You know, they there's them leading the country in TFLs. It's like they have an aggressive front seven. It's going to show some new things that have kind of, you know, those that's kind of been a weak spot of the three opposing defenses we faced but now they have some dudes who can get after it. And so we'll see if we can, if we can move the ball, just, you know, keep doing our thing and hopefully their defense and their offensive line will have some struggles and we can keep them from getting sincere McCormick running well and getting in a rhythm so we can uh, keep them under 10 first downs. So I'm looking at, uh, I'm turning to my friends at, at pro football focus, like we do very frequently here on this show. And I'm looking at the overall game grades of uh, UTSA. So in their first game against Texas State, which they won, which was one of the funnest games of the year so far, 51-48, thriller. Uh, the overall game grade for UTSA, a, a very, very respectable 76.4. That's great. The next game against Stephen F. Austin, which they also won, 73.1. So still good, but less, right? Right. 
the next game against Middle Tennessee, another close game that they were able to eke out at the end, 71.5. You're starting to see a trend now. Uh, against UAB, they lost this game. Uh, you see a steeper decline in their overall game grade for, down to 59.6. I don't pay enough attention to UTSA to get into the very, very specific details of why they are dipping like this but it's very clear looking at those numbers which really for those of you unfamiliar with the pro football focus grades they grade every player's performance on every play and they aggregate all those numbers and then spit out a score at the end and then for the team scores they take all of those scores and they you know they aggregate it up and they put it into one team overall team number and about like above a 70 is about good right and then like yeah yep like 85 is like you're you cruised Right. If you're anything, I mean, if you're in the 80s, you win most of the time. If you're in 85, 90, you absolutely annihilate your opponents most of the time. Uh, Like I say, I don't follow. I'm not going to pretend like I follow UTSA close enough to be able to tell you why. But it's very clear that they started out hot and they they have been on a downward trend since then. Maybe that's injuries. Maybe that's they've uh, had. He didn't mention. So they've had four quarterbacks get significant minutes in four games and that's not a recipe for success so for context let's just i want to talk about byu and show you why i am so confident that byu covers this current 34 point spread i'm not touching Uh, that man byu's byu's uh game performance their overall game grade against navy 95.7 which is immaculate i mean that's damn near perfect Against Troy, 92.7. Against La Tech, 92.2. So, yeah, it's the same kind of you – know, they're trending down a little bit. But 95.7, when you see that on anybody in any individual metric on pro football focus, you assume that's an anomaly. You assume that that is – somebody had a crazy game. Maybe it's a whole team. They had this crazy efficient game. That's not going to – like. there's no staying power in 95.7. But BYU's done, done it. aren't good. When you've done it three games in a row, that's how you, it's one of those things where you can tell it's like not a fluke. And it's, I mean, even national writers are talking about this, like Bill Connolly talked about this earlier in the week. That's like, yes, they not, we have not played anybody, right? Like we, you know, we have whatever was like the weak sisters of the poor type, you know, strength of schedule, but the way that you play those games still tells you something. And I mean, you and I have talked about this since the Navy games, like we need style points and you actually, you wrote an article about this the same time I was doing some data work looking at this. McClintock effect. The McClintock effect is in full, is full effect right now. That's a weird sentence. The, uh, (laughs) but it's the way they're winning games and the way they are playing is dominant. And that's across the board. And when you look at those game scores, it's like, it's top to bottom. It's not just like, Oh, nobody could stop Tyler Algier or, Oh, Zach Wilson made some good throws. It's when they go that grade, they're looking at the all 22 film and they're saying, Hmm, did this receiver get separated from his, the DB? Did this receiver get separated from this DB? Did when Carter wheat went out on this route, did he get separation from this linebacker? That's how they are grading every single player across the board. And like all three phases, offense, defense, special teams, and grading every single person on every single snap. So if the entire team collectively is doing that, it's not just you're playing nobody and you're overpowering them. It's what you were doing was technically sound. 
because right. if you like if you just outwork somebody or like you're just faster than someone but you kind of ran a crappy route and got away with it dff yep. will knock you down for that so this right. is people are doing the right things over and over and over again every single play executing at a high level and that's why you know right now i i calculated this week the resume smp plus and byu is completely is dominant in that number so what that is if you have if we're big fans of SP plus system here. It makes it very simple that if you ever want to, if you look at Bill Connolly's SP plus numbers, if you ever want to compare between two teams, you just take the team that's rated higher, subtract the score of the team that's rated lower. And that will be the spread on a neutral field. Estim- that'll be the estimated spread on a neutral field. I love and, simple advanced metrics like that. Yep. And so, and a zero is an average team. And it's, so it's like, you'll see teams that are rated like negative 10 or whatever. And that means they would lose by 10 points to an average team, whatever. So the resume SMP plus, because it's hard to like you, I mean, you only have so many ways to, um, you have so many ways to try to like normalize thing and account for strength of schedule and this and that, whatever. So resume SMP plus takes that and you say, okay, well, so what I did is I looked for the last 20 years of S&P plus said, what does, what's the average rating of a top of the top five best teams, highest rated teams for the last 20 years. Okay. And I took all of those and came up with say, okay, the average top five team for the last two decades was rated this. So based on this schedule, then, you know, we would do that better team minus worst team to figure out what the estimated spread would be on average BYU. They would be, uh, I got to pull it up right now. Cause I'm not going to remember. I'll stop my head. Um, you know, you'd say, okay, based against BYU schedule, they would beat Navy by this many points and they'd beat Troy by this many points, whatever. So looking at BYU schedule, the average top five team for the last 20 years would win by an average of 35 points. That's what we predict. So, okay. Those three games, they'd win by 35 points. We're currently beating our average margin of victory is 41.3 points. So, we I actually knocked it down. I capped it at 50 as a max margin victory. Cause once you get past 50, it's like, okay, that's bad. Like then you start getting outliers. <laughs> right. So cap it at 50. Cause the Navy game, you know, um, and we, it's like our average is 40.7. So that our difference, I guess, is how you'd say like the, how far off of a thing it's. So we're beating these teams by an average of almost just about six, about six points, points better, like basically almost a full touchdown better than what the average top five team would do. Uh, is that going to hold over the whole season? Probably not. But it does say a lot about how it's playing because if you look down the list, it's BYU 5.7 points above average, Georgia 1.7, Miami minus 0.4, Alabama minus 0.6, Clemson minus 4.2. So it's there's only two teams in the country that are playing above above the top five average and it's BYU and Georgia. And if you go back to 2000, this BYU team through three games is number 14 of the of all like of all the top five teams. In no, that it's the number 14 frame. of like every team. Oh, of everybody played since um, since uh, like since 2000. So I guess what? Well, back then there was only like 115 teams. So yeah, 115 times 20 years, 120 times 20 years. Like was that 2,400 football FBS teams? This would come in, the current BYU season so far would come in at not the 14th most dominant team of the last 20 years. This is why you're our advanced metrics genius. 
because this is what you do. And I think you break it down in a way that everybody can understand. Uh, I did the, a very similar look at BYU, but I did it in a much different way. So uh, again, the most all encompassing BYU podcast that you can imagine for all of you data nerds, Garrett just gave you the rundown of SP plus and expected win differential and all of that stuff. What I did was a different approach. I took last year's uh, P5 games against a Conference USA or a Sunbelt opponent. The average margin of victory for the P5 opponent last year was 18 points. BYU, we're going to count Navy as a Conference USA team because that's how they played. BYU was winning by 41 points. That's significantly more than 18 points. Now, let's take that one step further. Last year, uh, there were 33 games, 33 Power 5 games against a Conference USA or a Sunbelt team. There were only six games. I, I, I Let me rephrase that. There were six teams that beat that Conference USA or Sunbelt opponent by more than 41 points. All six of those teams last year finished ranked inside the top 15. Four of those six played in New Year's, New Year's six games. So we're talking, I think Iowa was the lowest ranked team. And Iowa was pretty darn good last year. But you're talking Georgia, you're talking Clemson, Florida, Alabama. Like those are the teams that are beating Sunbelt and Conference USA teams by more than 40 points, 41 points. Uh, not Miami, not Texas, not Texas A&M. You're talking the premier upper echelon of college football. Okay, that's great. That's one year. That seems like that's probably anomaly, an anomaly, right? So I went back last year. The top 15 thing, it, it, it didn't stay true through 2018. But there were a lot of similarities that really illustrate how well BYU is playing. 2018, there were 32 games of Power 5 opponents against a – uh, a Sunbelt or a Conference USA team. And in those 35 games, uh, the average margin of victory was 27 points. The big difference that makes up that nine points is App State was really good in 2019. They were not quite as good in 2018. I think App State went 2-0 and against the P5 last year. Yep. And so that swayed, right, that, that average differential. But still, 27 points was the average. There were nine games... Um, of those, of those 32 where the power five team won by more than 41 points. So again, not at all the majority. Like I think people have this misconception that because it's an inferior opponent, they get blown out every time they play a power five team. And that's just not true. And of those nine games, let me just read the, the opponents of, of who was blowing their teams out, Alabama, Mississippi state, Alabama, again, old miss, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Mississippi State again, Georgia, and Arizona State. I think all of those teams, with the exception of Old Miss, were ranked at some point last year. Yep. They, it's really just, it's the way there, it's not being 3 0, it's how we yeah. have gotten to 3 0. That is a huge difference. And that's why, you know, last week we had the Laz Index. We talked about Laz. He let us down. They have dropped to number six 
He is dead to me. He is dead to me. But the feeling power rankings have us as number one, and they are our ranking system of the week. But if we look at the Massey composite, which takes not as many teams or guys are submitting rankings this year because I think a lot of people are like, I don't know how to do it. Like, I don't want to deal with COVID business, whatever. <laughs> We're not touching it. Right now, there's 35 rankings in. Average those all out. BYU is 10th in the country. So in, in terms of 35, trying to be objective as possible, computer rankings. But we are number one in the feeling power rankings, which has the strangest top 10 I have ever seen. BYU, Louisiana Lafayette, Miami, SMU, Notre Dame, Alabama, Clemson's number seven, Oklahoma State, Marshall number nine, Georgia 10. Then you get into Florida, Cincinnati, North Carolina, Liberty checking in at number 14, Air Force at 15, and then some other ones like that goes past that. But I don't really want to talk about those other teams. What matters is that BYU is ranked number one. BYU is number one, and the the Raging Cajuns are number two, and that is awesome. I, you know, it's we want to. I want to see a game between BYU and the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana Lafayette. I want to see a scenario where somehow, and it would take an absolute catastrophe for this to happen, but BYU and Louisiana Tech or Louisiana Lafayette uh, are playing each other in the college football playoff. I like I want it. I want it. I mean, it's never going to happen and it's virtually impossible, but man, how cool would that be to just see the entire system get turned on its head and independent BYU and Sunbelt Lafayette are playing in the national championship. I want that more than I've ever wanted anything. Wouldn't that just be great? I mean, we do both have a date open on December 5th, so I think our schedule's done. It's with the addition of Boise and San Diego State, we're we're set solid. We don't need more games unless Army wants to hop back on. But Raging Cajun's athletic director, if you want to call Tom Homo up and say, hey, let's do this on December 5th, Jeff and I will support it. I'm in, you know, and we have a growing audience. And I I think that our listeners are going to support more football. So I think most of, of everybody who's listening to this is going to agree that, hey, more football is better than less. So yeah, let's do it. December 5th. Uh, I think it's a big deal. I think the only way that ever, like my dream scenario could ever happen is if the PAC 12 gets their way because the PAC 12 has taken it upon themselves to what have they done to, to find a way that they can get into the playoff. They are whining and complaining. And frankly, it's, whining and complaining that I agree with, I'm I'm happy with, but still whining and complaining nonetheless. They are whining and complaining that four teams in the college football playoff is not enough. A couple weeks ago, Larry Scott went to the the Power Five commissioner, said, hey, we need to expand this. He got zero support. Uh, I'd like to think he was laughed out of the boardroom, but I don't know if they laughed, but he was he was told no. Well, now you're seeing more Oregon ADs who are coming out and publicly, uh, you know, opining for an expanded playoff. I think even Kyle Whittingham has said something in the last week or so that he would like to see an expanded playoff. And I think most of us outside of SEC country would like to see uh, an expanded playoff because more football is better than less football. 
but it's interesting that the Pac-12, who, 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 who have they had? They had Oregon with Marcus Mariota in the first year of the playoff, and then they had Washington with Jake Browning. I guess that's been, man, has that been four years ago now? Yes. And those are the only two Pac-12 representatives that have ever appeared in the college football playoff. So I find it interesting that they're the ones. It's not interesting. We all understand it. But they're the ones who are saying, hey, we need to get this done. When in reality, they're looking at it and saying, uh, we can't get in. We, we haven't ever been able to get in. And this year, the Big 12 is a nightmare. So the Pac-12 should be able to, to get in. But the Pac-12 is only playing six games. I don't think that the Pac-12, even if, um, I guess maybe unless it's Oregon or USC, I just don't see a way that a 6-0 and and then they go and they win the Pac-12 championship, a 7-0 and Pac-12 champion gets into the playoff over a 9-1 and Georgia team. If they no way. win, they'd have to win all of their games running away. Like if yeah, they're, like that's if the they're only winning way. all of their games by 20 plus, then maybe. That's the only way that it happens. And the Big Ten hasn't even started yet, right? The Big Ten, there is still, I mean, Ohio State is always going to be Ohio State. Ohio State is going to be the heavy, 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 heavy favorite to get into the college football playoff from the Big Ten. But we're looking at a scenario where we could very easily see, um, if not two from the SEC, you could see the, you know, Ohio State and Penn State get in. Like both of those teams are ranked ahead of Oregon and USC in just about every preseason poll. And I think that the schedules are going to work out that at worst, one of those teams has one loss, you know, like they could both go and one finishes undefeated. The other one has one loss that team Penn state with one loss, I think is still getting in ahead of a seven and Oh Oregon. I think it's going, it's going to be Clemson. No one's going to stop Clemson. The ACC, it'll be Clemson. They Good try to the fighting Broncos last week. They 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 didn't right. do it, but no. uh, you know they didn't get totally embarrassed. So well done, fighting Bronco Mendenhalls. Yeah, it'll be Clemson. The unless if Clemson does not win the ACC championship, then the ACC will get left out. But it will be Clemson. Clemson will get in. It'll be the Big Ten champion, the SEC champion, and then one of either the Big Ten or like one more team from the Big Ten or the SEC unless Oklahoma state can pull it out. Like if Oklahoma state runs the rest of the way um, and wins the big 12, then maybe they can sneak in, but it's, it's going to be tight between them as the big 12 champion and the other one. And um, you know, another big 10 or sec team. So the playoffs a mess. I personally, I think expanding to eight doesn't really do anything for me. I would say expand all the way to 16 and because the gap between one and five is i think is bigger than the gap between number five and number 16 in terms of quality of teams i think that's true at 16 you don't say top g5 whatever at 16 you can say get a g5 or two no at 16 i would say all 10 conference champions can get in and you have six at large bids like um maybe i would just feel bad right like because you're gonna have alabama play northern illinois and like i just i I don't know i guess we do it with basketball right or duke is always playing ut arlington or something like that in the first round so you know do it that way but i 
it's a longer explanation. I have another idea of how to do this to expand things. That would be super fun and would basically just expand the playoff immediately, but I'll still rely on conference championships, but we'll put that on the agenda for another week. Um, <laughs> there is, uh, I do want to just, before we move on, Clemson plays Miami this week. It's a big game. This is their it's a biggest huge game. And Miami it's, could knock them off. Look, this is how good Clemson is. We're going to talk about our, our picks later on. I, I, I think we did okay last week. We weren't fantastic, but I think we were well above the 60% threshold that you want to be at. Uh, so anyway, this is a top 10 game. Number seven, Miami at number one, Clemson. And Clemson is a two touchdown favorite. Like that's how good Clemson is. I, this is their toughest test, like their toughest interconference test that we have seen in the ACC in a number of years. And they are a two touchdown favorite. Like that's just, that's insane to me. What yeah, else is insane? Two touchdown favorite. Most models are predicting them to cover. Oh yeah. And I, I think you would be silly not to. Like, I, I really think that they win probably by 20. And I think Miami's a pretty good team, but it, it kind of illustrates what you say that the gap between, you know, one and five is greater than five and 16. Because I do, I, I think if we were to really get to see everybody play some sort of an equal schedule, Miami is probably the seventh or eighth best team in the country. I think that their ranking is very accurate of how good they are with Derek King at quarterback. But I, think that clemson beats them by 20 points and it's not even a game yep and it's unless you get those fluke things whatever it's i really you in any given year you have those top like four is about right of truly elite teams maybe some years there might be a fifth but most teams you're gonna have four and even and I would even it's, say some years it's two or three. And yeah it's, like, it's usually like, two or three and we feel like it's we're arguing between like it's Every year of the playoff, it's like, okay, one is set, two is set, three is set. And then you're arguing about who between four and 10 should get the last spot. And it's like, that's where there's that, there's a huge drop off. Um, it's the same way with basketball, which is kind of funny that you're going to get 65, I guess, 68 teams now that get into the tournament. And we spend all season long, up until the tournament tips off and actually starts, we spend all season long talking about teams 64 through 74. Like, who are the teams that are a bubble? That's what we care about. I just think that's funny. And it's the same way with the college football playoff. Like last year, it was all about, is it going to be Baylor? Is it going to be Oklahoma? Could it be Utah? And for those teams, like, it's great. Like, you want to get into the playoff. If I was a, one, a fan of one of those teams, I would be loving that, right? Like, that's exactly where you want to be. Well, Oklahoma ended up getting the bid and got waxed in the playoff. Uh, and that's just the way that it is. Like, there are usually, I say there are two or three teams that are elite every year. Last year, it was an anomaly because there was LSU. But I think on any given year, nine times out of ten, in the current climate of college football, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson are your three elite teams. And uh, give me one of those three teams to win the national championship every year. Like, that's what it's going to be. Every year, it's going to be those three teams who are in the mix until Nick Saban retires or, you know, Satan comes and relinquishes him from the contract that they, they once made that allows those three teams to win everything that they do. 
I hope he does that. I don't, I really hope that Dabo doesn't leave Clemson and go to Alabama as soon as Saban retires. I don't want that to happen. I like Dabo. I want to continue to like Dabo. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. I just don't know how. Does Dabo shtick really resonate in Alabama? Like, I think it works at Clemson. And, and, and you were down there. I think you know better than I do. But I think it worked at Clemson because they weren't a powerhouse. And he was able to do it from the beginning. And then they became a powerhouse. I think if he were to go in with kind of his yeah. religious thing that he has, I don't think it would have worked at the beginning. I think if he goes to Alabama, where football is the religion, I don't think it's going to work because they are yeah. used to undefeated seasons. Like I mean, Clemson was not. Even like at BYU, it's like John Beck, Max Hall era teams were doing firesides. Everyone thought it was so awesome. Independence rolls around. We're not in the top 25 anymore. And firesides right. are losing. So, yep. yeah, I think if he wants to keep his shtick, uh, then I think, you know, of DeAndre Hopkins, of his pastor coming to practice to baptize DeAndre Hopkins in the ice bath <laughs> right. after everyone's done. Uh, yeah, I think they'll probably have to stay in Clemson. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, what do you? What do you? What What is your take on Zach Wilson, the first round draft pick? What did I tell you in our post game show last Friday night? Jeff? I know. I know. Know what you told me. I want you to tell the masses again. I said if Zach Wilson keeps playing like this, the question is not is going to come up of whether he will even come back to BYU next year, because he will start getting draft buzz. And I was thinking about a couple weeks from now, but it ended up being a couple hours because now (laughs) there have been multiple draft analysts saying he's a first round pick. There have been multiple mock drafts saying that with him getting projected to get picked in next year's draft, the Zach Wilson hype train is full steam ahead. And obviously it's just because I follow more BYU people that it's like bigger to me, but like, it is full steam ahead every bit as much and maybe even more so than the Jordan Love or the Josh Allen or the Daniel Jones or the Mitch Trubisky hype trains ever were because I never understood any of those. There have been so many bad first round picks that have been taken. Just horrendous. Which any college football fan could tell you that Mitch Trubisky was not going to be a great NFL quarterback. Yet somehow I don't like I don't understand what goes on in the minds of NFL GMs. Like I under, I understand, you know, like, okay. So Mitch Trubisky went ahead of Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, which is absurd. Um, I understand not being sold on Patrick Mahomes becoming who Patrick Mahomes has become. Like I understand when evaluations undersell a player, that makes sense to me as somebody who spends a lot of time watching high school football, watching, you know, and evaluating recruits and coming up with my own takes on who these recruits are. Um, I, I could wrap my head around undervaluing somebody. What I can't understand is how like people are going to bust. That makes sense. But how could anybody look at Mitch Trubisky compared to Deshaun Watson at Clemson and come up with this conclusion that not only was Trubisky going to be a better player he was going to be 10 picks better than deshaun watson it makes no sense i I understand undervaluing deshaun watson i can wrap my head around that i can't understand how there was such a large gap between those two so that's the first thing that i think of when i think of zach wilson going to the nfl 
is there's been a lot of bad quarterbacks that have gone and been first round picks. Like we all saw Jordan Love. Maybe Jordan Love goes on and he's great, but we saw Jordan Love. I didn't see it. Like I don't see first. I didn't see in the Packers don't depth chart doesn't see it now either. Right. And so there's some, I don't know. I think Zach Wilson has better raw tools. Like let's, let's ignore production for a minute. Let's just talk about raw tools. I think that Zach Wilson has better raw tools than, than most of these quarterbacks that have been, you know, kind of flops like the Daniel Joneses. Uh, I think Zach Wilson has a better arm. I think Zach Wilson understands well, we'll get into that, but I think that he's a better athlete than he gets credit for. He's got better arm. He's got the size. I think it's easy to look at him and, and forget that he's six, three, like he's a big dude. Um, he, he's got all the raw tools, but what makes Zach Wilson so special that I, I don't see out of Jordan love and maybe Daniel Jones had it, but I don't see it out of Mitch Trubisky or Jordan love is the ability to see and comprehend information so quickly there was a a a clip and obviously it's a clip on twitter and it can mean whatever it means but byu tv jerem jordan does the film room with a random player each week and this week was with um was with zach and in this he goes through a few different plays of like the the first throw the deep throw to dax milne that zach made when he was on the run that that ball traveled 48 yards in the air he goes through the play where he rolled out and the, the really great play to Gunner that ended up being marked down at the one. Those are the two plays that I remember. I think there were a couple of others, but he goes through and he breaks down the film of what he saw on those routes and the reason that he made the throws that he made. And Zach Wilson on the the the, the ball to um, – oh, and he talks about the ball to Carter Wheat too, and he talks about the laser. So there's a few different throws. Uh, he talks about the the touchdown pass. Let's talk about this one. The touchdown pass to Gunnar Romney. That it, when you listen to Zach break down this play, Zach looks at the pre-snap and he sees that, hey, if this corner is going to press on Gunner, then that's a look I have to I have to be aware of. But it's not his first read. The first read was to the tight end, and then he had Neil Pau. That was the second read. But in the back of his mind, Zach Wilson thought pre-snap. If I see this coverage, then I know that I can do this. And then he goes and he makes an absolute laser of a throw that maybe not have looked spectacular. That throw was spectacular. Like there are very few quarterbacks in the country who could make that throw. He talked, he talks about the, the, the deep ball to Dax Milne. And that's maybe the most interesting thing to listen to him break down. He, uh, Jerem asked him, Hey, the coverage was pretty, was pretty tight. And this was a long throw how did you make this throw? And Zach goes through and it wasn't just this lucky thing that he said, Oh yeah, I can, I felt like I could get it in there and we got lucky. It was, well, I rolled right. And I could see what type of coverage the corner was in and he was giving up on the play. And I knew that because his back was turned to me, that if I threw a back shoulder pass, uh, he's not even going to see the ball in the air. But he trusted Dax Milne. He trusted Dax, which is a whole nother level of great for them, right? But the reason he threw that ball wasn't because the guy was open. It wasn't because of anything that Dax was doing. It was because of what the defender was doing. He threw that ball on a dime because a defender had his back turned. He talks about the same thing 
with Gunnar Romney and, and that throw that went right, that was marked down at the one yard line that it was, well, I read the defense and I could see that the, uh, that the defender had his eyes turned a different direction. The way that he's able to process this stuff, and these are things that are happening in milliseconds, the way that he's able to process it so quickly and make those types of decisions that and still complete 85% of his passes, that's what's going to make him successful in the NFL. Is he going to be the next Aaron Rodgers? I have no idea. But this dude is going to be successful in the NFL. He's Either way, he's going to get his payday. And we talk about this. It's, I think, if he gets a second round, obviously, if he gets a first round projection, he needs to go and he should. If he gets a second round, he probably should go. If he gets like third or fourth or later, then that's where it's, he it, should come back. It will, he should take out a fat insurance policy and then come back because he can play himself into being the first one or you know second guy off the and, board and that is that's going to be the the big thing for Zach I think as he makes this decision is right now I mean Mel Kuyper put him as a top 5 quarterback uh PFF I think has him as a, a number 6 quarterback and so I mean he's right there in that 5 6 range which, which that might mean end of first beginning of second like yeah which might mean a second round pick which is great. And I think for most people, I would say if you're getting a second or third round grade, you go 100% of the time. It's that fourth round grade when now the money is not as guaranteed that that's where I start to get a little bit worried. But I think at the quarterback position, and especially a quarterback like Zach, there is a, a, another element of the decision that he has to make. Because he's a junior and he has the ability, he's young, right? He's not a return missionary. He has the ability to play his way up. So right now he might be QB six and get a mid second round grade and a projection. And that's going to be probably 10, $12 million in his pocket. Right. And uh, you know, a three, $4 million signing bonus, five, 6 million bucks, depending on where in the second round, I guess if he's mid second round, it's a little bit late. There was a yeah. mock draft today that had him going 27th, which would have been a six and a half million dollar signing bonus last year and a four year, 12, and change million dollar contract. So yeah, that's 18 million bucks. But if he has the ability, if he's getting that mid second, early third grade, the money is guaranteed. Sure. And in most other positions, I say you absolutely go, but he's got the skills that if he can stay healthy and it's a risk, right? There's no question. It's a gamble, but if he can stay healthy, he could potentially play his way to being QB one or QB two in the 2022 draft and the difference between QB six and QB two is about $20 million. And yeah. so, so that's, that's the, the, the balancing act that he's going to have to, to play. Right. So last year in 2019, Drew Locke was drafted by the Broncos number 42 overall. So that mid second round thing, he signed a $7 million contract. And then, so if we say he's not number one overall, okay, let's look at Daniel Jones. Seven million, that was the contract. Was there a signing bonus attached to that yes, as well? That was the total. Including. Yep. So then okay. if we look at Dwayne Haskins, who's about to flame out of the NFL after a year and a half, is... Too bad. I like Dwayne Haskins, but yeah. Um, Dwayne Haskins was drafted number 15 overall, and his rookie contract, do if this loads was $14 million. So that difference of being in the first round, but then if you look at a, we hop up to Daniel Jones, who went somehow went number sixth overall. 
I do not understand, or I do, I will never understand how Daniel Jones was selected sixth overall. But Daniel Jones got a $17 million signing bonus, and his rookie contract is worth $26.2 million. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the but that's the question that Zach has to, to go through in his head at the end of this year. If he is anything less than QB3, which I think is a very reasonable argument to be made that he could get into QB3, Trey Lance is probably the QB3 right now, and Trey Lance looked awful. That's why he left because he knows he can only go down from here. His stock right. will get higher. So he could absolutely get into that QB three range. And that puts him into that mid first round, probably, uh, you know, the 10 through 16 type pick, which would be phenomenal, right? Absolutely phenomenal for the program, for Zach himself, for so many different things. But if he is less than that, if he gets into the QB four range, even if he gets that first round, second round grade, he has the talent and the ability that in 2022 he could be QB one or QB two, and that's a ton of money. So this isn't a question of, well, if he's going to try to play his way from the fourth round to the third round, like we had, you know, when we're talking about Matt Bushman, it's like he came back because he was probably a day three guy and he's trying to get into the guaranteed money. And so, yeah, come back. That makes sense. This isn't that kind of a discussion where you're just trying to make a little bit more, hundred thousand dollars more. Zach could go from making three or $4 million, which is a ton at the end of the second round. That's more money than I'm going to ever make in a single year. No question. Right. But if he waits another year, continues to play well, he's getting $17 million handed to him on the day that he signs the contract. And that's going to be tough for that season and can never play again. It's locked up and it's done. He doesn't have to work for the rest of his life at the ripe age of 22. You know, he is also a Neilman, so he may not have to work for the rest of his life anyways. Well, he'll go work for the family business. But, Jeff, what is your prediction? We got to go down do our – it's been a good show. We're ready to do a prediction. There are a ton, a ton of uh, – there are a ton of games. We're finally back into, like, full-fledged football season it feels like now we'd still i mean there's still a couple of conferences not playing but yeah, we still gotta wait another month <laughs> right until the back 12 kicks off but um so let's pull up the so some of the better games so byu is a 34 and a half point favorite uh if i can find it oh it's moved 35 point favorite now what are the computers doing <laughs> I like BYU big. I, I really do. I think 35, like, uh, I think this is a game that Kalani's pissed about the hype. You could hear, you could hear like, in his presser today and on Monday, like you could, I guess his presser was Monday and then you could hear it from Ed Lamb today. Uh, you could hear a little bit of frustration that they're continually being asked about their ranking. Uh, I think he's pissed. I think he has got this team motivated. I saw Coach Mateos on Twitter upset at PFF for not including his lineman group in one of the graphics that they did. And so he's going out of his way to find ways to, you know, put a chip on their shoulder. Dabo which is, is still doing that. Clemson's been to the playoff five years in a row and he still says, yeah, they disrespect you. Exactly. And that's the kind of stuff that good coaches do. Like find a way to convince your team that no, this hype that fans have 
you know, Jeff Hansen's leading the hype train. And I know a lot of you follow him, but nobody really believes in you. Like, I, I hope that they read the piece on 24-7 that the most overrated team on co- in college football is BYU. And so I am convinced that this is going to be a statement game for BYU. I also think that they're pretty pissed off at the local government for not allowing fans in the stadium. And so they are going to... Not even to... their parents, which is the most ridiculous thing. Dude, I have such a hard time. The hypocrisy and the inconsistency. Uh, that's a I, whole other episode we could get into of us I know. ranting like, on that. Yeah, BYU's cases right now are like a third of where they were when this decision was made and Utah County had 150 new cases today compared to like 500 in Salt Lake, but governor Herbert's out there having backyard concerts, raising money and Spencer Cox, who I bought my first campaign sign ever to support Spencer Cox in the primary. That dude has been a ghost like nowhere. It's one thing to have a philosophy or a strategy and it go wrong. But it's another thing entirely to just bounce. And the only tweets that he has even put out, like the only messages that he's put out in the public is, oh, I really hope that Wisconsin's misfortune serves as a reminder to us. Oh, I really hope that the breakout in the White House serves as a reminder to us. Like, what, what is happening? Like, you're just retweeting Newsline from somebody else. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's strange, but I don't. I just thirty-five is too much. But you know what? I'm a I'm gonna get on the hype train with you, Jeff. I will tell you on this, and I'll say BYU wins by over thirty-five. Yeah, they cover, this, dude, and it's, they're going. They will cover. What is the over under on this game? I think the over under is like I'm pulling it up. Now. I think it's like 64, 62. And a half. 64 is what it's up to. They're not gonna oh, cover the over by the. They're not gonna cover the over by themselves, but if. UTSA can get a single touchdown, then the over will hit. I think this is the highest scoring game of the year. I don't think very highly of UTSA. I think that they are the worst of the four teams that BYU will have played up to this point. And I think that BYU is a little bit pissed off. So I hope they're pissed off and not cocky. That's, it seems like they're pissed off and I want to see pissed off. So we've got a couple more lines to run through here really quick um tomorrow weekend is kicking off um we got two lane plus six and a half at houston uh give me two lane i'm shocked two lane straight up in this yeah like i'm shocked because houston wasn't very good last year and they this is their season opener like they have had all kinds of crazy in that program and i think that dana holkerson has had to get himself back on the red bulls just to survive he had he had taken away the red bulls uh earlier in the quarantine because he was tired of drinking them so much but i think that the last few weeks of their games getting canceled has driven him back to the caffeinated beverages and uh i just don't know what to expect from two uh what to expect from houston give me two lane okay mississippi state plus two at kentucky uh, i hope that last week served as a lesson to everybody that you live and die with mike leach he will beat lsu and you will be happy and then he will lose games that he should not lose. He is the most volatile coach ever. And that's because he does the same thing week in and week out, no matter what. I take Kentucky at home because I have no idea 
what to expect on a weekly basis for Mike Leach. Uh, Miami plus 14 at Clemson. We already talked about this one. I think both of us are rolling with the Tigers on this one. And yep. it's I'm, I'm betting on Clemson until someone proves to me that they can stop them. Uh, Oklahoma, Red River, the two-loss Oklahoma Sooners versus the Texas Longhorns, who are not back. Oklahoma uh, is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Sam Ellinger over Spencer Rattler. It's that simple. I want Spencer Rattler to lose every game until he fixes his hair. That's really uh, he's, to me. He makes it really easy to not cheer for Oklahoma. Yeah, he's like Tate Martell 2.0 kind of for me, except uh, for he's actually halfway decent at the college level. Well, maybe uh, one and two. Yeah, um, he's still played all right, but his defense not so much. Um, Alabama twenty-four point favorite over Ole Miss. Fighting Lane Kiffins, uh, I'm taking Alabama here because they don't even know where this game's going to be played, and so Lane Kiffin has to play perfectly to beat Alabama. And I don't think that the hurricane and the weather is going to allow Ole Miss to play perfectly. I think Alabama rolls. Uh, and Mac Jones is playing. Mac, if you haven't watched Alabama yet, Mac Jones is his numbers are every bit as good and looking similar to like he's putting up numbers and playing similar to the way Zach Wilson is right now. And if the Alabama's QB play like that, it's really scary. Yep. Um, last game we have two uh, BYU opponents. Texas State is a seven and a half point dog on the road at Troy. Yeah, I included this line just to kind of illustrate that BYU's schedule is getting worse, folks. Troy is a seven and a half point favorite. I, I have no idea. Give me Troy because I hope Troy wins, so that win looks a little better for BYU. But uh, BYU's schedule is going to take a turn, guys. Like, yeah, Houston is great. That's next week. But then there are several games of crap coming up. Yeah, I mean, Texas State is one in three. Um, they looked halfway decent the first week of the season against SMU. Like, oh, maybe they'll do something. They lost in that shootout with UTSA. And then they did beat Louisiana Monroe's, the worst FBS team in the country. But then they hung tight with Boston College. So it's the three game. They have lost by three points three times. So um, I, don't, I don't have a good read on them. It seems like they can they play with whoever they're playing against and can halfway hang with them, and we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I – I think I'd take Texas state to cover this one just because if they've lost three games by a total of nine points, I've no reason to think that they're not going to hang tight and go down without a fight. Uh, it's sound logic, but I'm taking the Ryan pews. I like Ryan pew. So go, go Trojans. Go Trojans. So another great week, another good preview episode. We hope you all enjoyed it. Please like subscribe, share, all of that good stuff. Remember to DM us any of your Cougar Club um, suggestions that you have that we can get passed along. And let's give them hell on Saturday and beat the Roadrunners, Jeff. Give them hell.